The series that we're in is called Deliver Us, and Deliver Us is not just a prayer to Jesus for his deliverance. It's actually a cry for help. <clears throat> so it's a prayer that is a cry for help, uh, and it's, it's a loud one. It's a distress signal to heaven. Deliver us. Once we realize that our biggest problems cannot be solved with the resources that we have, um, because in many ways we are the direct contributor to our biggest problems, we have to send out a signal to Jesus, a signal that says we are helpless and we need to be delivered. And Jesus will answer this distress call by teaching us how to be his disciples and by taking us as his disciples through the cross and the resurrection. He's got to teach us, and then he's got to take us into the three-dimensional reality to which his teaching points so that we can be changed from the inside out with his power. Now, a distress signal indicates that a person or a group of people or a ship or an aircraft uh, or another vehicle is threatened by grave and imminent danger and requests immediate assistance. That's what a distress call is. It's, it indicates that something is wrong and that immediate assistance is needed from the outside. So, <clears throat> I want you to be prepared in case this happens. Um, so if you are stranded or, or in danger at sea, in international waters, or in space, um, I want you to be prepared. So when the time comes, here's what you do. These are internationally recognized distress calls. First thing you can do is you can transmit the spoken word Mayday on channel 16 by radio. So Mayday is your word. Go to channel 16 and start saying Mayday, and that will be recognized. Second distress signal that you can use. You can send uh, the Morse code signal SOS uh, by light flashes or sounds. So if you don't know how to do Morse code yet, you have your Sunday afternoon assignment. The third thing that you can do is you can emit orange smoke from a canister. So if you have a canister with orange smoke in it, which some of you do in your purses, um, uh, emit that and it will be recognized as a distress call. You can show flames on the vessel that you're in. So you can set a, bo uh, a barrel of uh, tar on fire and then point to the, to the burning tar <laughs> barrel. And, and the, over, you know, the, 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 the plane that's flying over will see it and go, oh, this person's in distress. They've been well-trained by their priest. <laughs> a couple of other things. You can launch a distress rocket. So launch your distress rocket. You can wave your arms like this. Um, you can make a continuous sound with a fog signaling apparatus. Okay? Distress signals. Now you are prepared. And hopefully the whole point of this is that the, the rescue ship the one who has the capacity to do something will see your distress signal and marshal all their energies to save you. That's the point, is that they'll be like, they're, they're in distress, I'm going to save this person. Now, we get cries for help all the time. People send distress signals our way, hoping we will notice them and hoping that we will respond with grace. They're waving their hands, they're setting... Uh, tar barrels on fire. They're emitting orange smoke. They're screaming Mayday on channel 16. And they're asking for rescue and they're asking for grace and they're asking for a blessing from us. Possible examples of this include your obnoxious coworker. 
who calls attention to themselves with bad jokes, with self-congratulation, taking credit for projects they did not do, uh, and giving you unfiltered accounts of their weekend. Okay? They're sending a distress signal to you. That is orange smoke saying, please help me, I need a blessing from you. Or how about this, the drama-prone family member or roommate who subjects you to every one of their mood swings, their eye-rolling and their withdrawals and driving you crazy. It's a distress signal. It's a cry for help. It's a, they're asking for a blessing from you, from us. Or how about this, the client or the customer. You spend an hour trying to help them, walking them through the process, and all along the way, they've been making belittling comments to you and criticizing you. They're asking for a blessing. They're asking for help. It's a distress call. Mayday, orange smoke, waving hands. They're in need of grace because they cannot save themselves. They have a soul need. And that soul need is expressing itself to us because their souls are hungry for a divine blessing that they feel they must have. And they're crying for help, they're signaling that they need grace, and they're unsure whether we will hear them and whether we will respond. And then we have an opportunity. We're like that vessel flying over or passing by. We have an opportunity to do something, to respond to this cry for help. What does it mean for us to give a blessing to someone else? John Ortberg, in his book Soul Keeping, describes it like this. Blessing is the projection of good into the life of another. Blessing is the projection of good into the life of another. We must think it, we must feel it, and we must will it. We communicate it with our bodies. You put your whole self in because blessing comes from the soul. So blessing is when we encounter another person who has a need and we will our mind, our emotions, our bodies, and our whole selves for their good. The Father blessed Jesus when he said over him, You are my son whom I love, and in you I am well pleased. He did this to publicly honor Jesus, and he did this to publicly commission him for good work. We have, a, we have the same opportunity to receive that blessing from the Father through Jesus and then pass it along to people in our life who most need it. And there are many people in our life who need it, who are asking for it. They most need to hear that they are loved by God and us and that the good things, that good things are intended for them by God and us. That God has given himself for their life and flourishing and we will join that work as well. Now, blessing is not codependency. Blessing is not even doing what that other person is asking for us to do overtly. It's not being a doormat. Blessing is extending grace and good towards another person with the power of God. It is something that we receive from the Father through Jesus. It is something that we will willingly on behalf of the other person and we give ourselves to it. We are strongly tempted to mistake a distress call for an enemy provocation. That is our daily temptation. When we see someone waving their hands, we think they're attacking us. They're against us. 
When we see the orange smoke, we take that as a sign of war and we react rather than bless. We get the signals messed up. The wires get crossed. And instead of extending God's blessing and grace from us to them, we see them as, as the enemy and we fire on them instead. Let's take the obnoxious coworker. We roll our eyes in contempt of them. We hold them in contempt in the court of our peers. Instead of including them in happy hour, we make them the subject of our conversation at happy hour. Or what about the drama-prone family member? We send clear signs with our eyes and our mouth of disapproval and anger, and we remind them how many problems they're creating for the family and everybody else. We ask them questions such as, what is wrong with you? Or what about the client who's been criticizing us as we try to help them? We give it right back to them. We settle the score, and if we have freedom to do so, we do it overtly. If we don't have freedom to do so, we do it subtly, communicating, I'm not the problem, you're the problem. We give it right back to them. When the people in our life uh, who are most hungry for a blessing send us distress signals, we are tempted to mix up the signals and give them our rejection, give them our contempt, and give them our cursing in response. We're tempted to fire upon people who are waving their arms, who are giving a distress call. Now, our gospel text this morning, Jesus will address this human condition, and he's going to show us a better way. When people came to Jesus with distress calls, with a hunger for blessing, he rightly saw this as a kingdom window, as a kingdom opportunity. When the orange smoke rises, when people's hands are being waved, when Mayday is being spoken on Channel 16, this is when the kingdom comes. This is your opportunity. This is the opportunity that Jesus came for. He takes the opportunity, and he encourages his disciples and us to take that opportunity as well. Now, wherever we're at in our spiritual journeys, whatever we believe or don't believe about Jesus this morning we do have an opportunity to learn from him and uh, learn about the capacity that we have as humans made in the image of God to bless another human being when there's a window of opportunity to do so. And I want every one of you to learn about this capacity that you have been given as someone made in the image of God, as a daughter made in the image of God, a son made in the image of God. You have been given the spiritual human capacity to pass along the blessing of God to another human being. And I want you to learn about it. And I want you to practice it by the power of God. So Jesus can do this. He can restore our capacity to bless uh, those in our life who most need it. Mark 10 gives us two instances, one involving marriage, one involving children. So let's look there. As we said before, this is not only teaching about the way of the cross and the way of the resurrection, uh, but we're actually inching closer and closer to the actual cross and resurrection. The closer we get, the more three-dimensional Jesus' teaching gets. Let's begin in verse 2 of Mark 10. The Pharisees came up and in order to test him asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Verse 3, Jesus answered them, What did Moses command you? And verse 4, they're going to quote from Deuteronomy 24 when they say, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. And they're referring to this time in Deuteronomy 24 when Moses is um, giving Israelites the law. And in the process of doing so, he talks about the fact that some men do this. 
Verse 5, Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So this reflects a controversy that was very live in the time of Jesus. And that controversy was this. Is divorce okay? Is it cool with God and God's law for, for a man to just go ahead and initiate a divorce? Um, and the heart behind this question is revealed in verse 4 when the Pharisees say, send her away. There was a send her away instinct and cultural um, uh, happening, cultural uh, pattern that was repeated over and over again in Jesus' day. Um, Rabbis in first century uh, Palestine, were get, who were growing in popularity, latched on to something that Moses said in verse 24, uh, Deuteronomy uh, 24, verse 1, um, and basically said, hey, there may be all kinds of reasons to send your wife away. There may be all kinds of things that you find wrong with her. For instance, she could burn dinner. Literally, one of the rabbis in a, historical, a historically verifiable document, talks about, yeah, you might, just, you might have to send her away because she burned dinner. Another rabbi said, you might need to send your wife away if you find someone who is fairer than her. And, and uh, believe it or not, men were, men were going, hey, guess the rabbis are teaching, and I might as well go ahead and do that because I can find all kinds of reasons to send my wife away. Now, women were in a very unfortunate uh, position in first century Palestine because they had almost no societal rights if they were not married. So if someone sent them away, if someone said, you're not worthy of being married to me anymore uh, because you burned dinner, it's likely that she would never get married again and that she would be marginalized and in poverty for the rest of her life. So imagine the married men listening in They've got all the power in this circumstance. And they're listening to what Jesus is going to say. Some of them are really happy in their marriages. And they, and they love the union that God's given them. But other ones have, as so many married couples do, they've seen weaknesses that they did not see before they were married. They see flaws they didn't see before they were married. And they want out. It would be more fun and interesting to get out. It would be more convenient to get out. Maybe they've got two or three options waiting in the wings. All they need to do is dispose of their wife and, hey, Moses mentioned it and the rabbis encourage it, so why not? So the heart behind the question is, can we send away the spouses who have flaws? Can we get someone who will give more and ask less of us? Jesus calls this in verse 5, hardness of heart. And in verse 6 through 9, he says, but from the beginning of creation, he's referencing Genesis 2, he's quoting it, and he's, and he's referencing the death and resurrection shorthand, which is embedded in Genesis 2, 14 through 21. He says, God made them male and female. Therefore, man shall leave his father and mother. He's going to leave behind familiarity. He's going to leave behind his his life up to that point, and he will hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. 
So they are no longer two, but one flesh. So what God's joined together, don't let anyone separate. Now imagine that you get a cut, you get a paper cut. This happened to me last Sunday. I got a paper cut, slice, and it was like, ah, so much pain. My flesh got cut. And I happened to be in the same room as someone who had Neosporin and a Band-Aid. And like, here, take care of that bit of flesh that has now been wounded and now has a flaw. And I eagerly applied that solution. I felt better. My flesh was more whole as, as a result. I don't even see the scar anymore. I don't even know which hand it was. <laughs> Your flesh is a part of you. Your flesh is very special. Um, you... You cut your skin when it gets cut. You take care of wounds. You cover up space that needs space to heal. Now marriage is a picture of the gospel wherein we humans are God's beloved bride. God sought us out and he loved us and when we rejected him, when we cheated on him, and when we were wounded in the process, He did not chop us off from his body. He did not abandon us. He did not send us away. He recognized that when we turned away from him, that is a distress call, that that is a wound, that that needs healing. And so instead of sending us away, he actually moved toward us and responded with rescue. It's a scandalous story, this this marriage between God and humanity. Scandalous. Because the groom is utterly faithful and the bride is utterly faithless. And the groom will stop at nothing, including his own death, to win the bride back. He will stop at nothing to heal the wound that is a result of sin. If any marriage were headed for permanent divorce, it would be this one, the marriage between God and humanity. But it didn't because of the permanence of marriage, because it is one flesh. Because of the blessing and the love of the Father through Jesus. Jesus was able to show the love of a faithful husband to us in response to our flaws, not our strengths. In response to our flaws, not our strengths. Isn't that so good to know? That it was our flaws that gave God the opportunity to show us his blessing? The things that we felt were so messed up we'd never even want to tell anybody? It was in response to our flaws, not our strengths that God showed us how committed he is to this marriage. Jesus says, yes, in marriage, you should expect these flaws. It does not degrade the permanence. It actually is an opportunity to demonstrate the permanence of this marriage, of this male-female bond. Friends, marriages bring out our need for a blessing. Marriages highlight our need for a blessing. Because our flaws are exposed. If you are in a marriage and there's tension in your marriage, is there a way to extend grace to your spouse? Is there grace that you could extend to your spouse, you could will it on their behalf with the power that you have? You're withholding it now because you want to punish them. Because of the gospel, because of the grace of God, you are given the capacity to extend life and blessing and flourishing on behalf of your spouse. And you were called to do this over and over again in response to to the way the Father has shown you grace and mercy even when you were flawed. One spiritual writer tells the story of of a, a marriage between a husband and wife. True story. The wife was 
was gorgeous. She was beautiful. Everywhere she went, heads would turn. And there came a point in time where she had to undergo surgery. And that surgery involved um, uh, a mistaken cut. Uh, one of her uh, nerves was severed. And so as a result, her smile and her face was disfigured. And so now uh, people would notice her for a different reason. Head would turn, as the spiritual writer said, for a different reason. And a mirror was requested by this woman and brought to her and she looked at it and there was silence. She looked at her husband and he said, I think it's so cute. And he moved his mouth to match hers and he bent down and gave her a kiss. Gave her a kiss of blessing, a kiss of love, a kiss which said, though you have been severed, though you have been wounded, I am here to demonstrate my love in this very window of opportunity. This is actually a, a chance for me not to send you away, but to bless you. This is an opportunity to bless you because you're, yes, now you have a deformity, but I do not see it as a deformity. I see it as an opportunity to love. It's a picture of grace and marriage is needed and marriage is, is a sign of being able to extend blessing where there has been brokenness, where there has been flaws. Jesus continues uh, teaching. He continues ministering. Verse 13, let's read. They were bringing children to Jesus that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. So here's the scene. Anonymous nobodies were bringing their annoying, anonymous, low-status children <laughs> to receive a blessing from, from Jesus. If they had any notoriety, if they had any status, it would have been included. All Mark says is they. They brought their children. Well, who's they? It's just anonymous people. People that have nothing to bring to the table. Nothing but need to the situation. And they're bringing children, which we see children as cute and adorable and amazing, and we coo and just think children are great sometimes um, when they're not ours. And um, just kidding. Um, but in, in, in Jesus' day, children were seen as a necessary problem. Children were not seen as cute. Children were seen as, as profoundly deficient. So not only were anonymous nobodies coming to Jesus, but they were bringing their anonymous, nobody children to Jesus that he might touch them. And in the Gospel of Mark and the ministry of Jesus, Jesus' touch meant everything. It was so valuable that people mobbed him for his touch. They tried to get close to him. Because when they got a touch from Jesus, they got healed. They got healed forever. Their life profoundly changed. The blessing meant something. It was tangible. And so they were coming. These anonymous nobodies were coming to him with orange smoke, it's a stress signal. We need a blessing and our children need a blessing. We need grace. We're not enough. There's a deficiency. So they're coming close to Jesus for the blessing that he can give them. And the disciples did what we are tempted to do every day of our life, which is to attack the people in distress, to write off the people who bring need, to mix the signals, to forget that Jesus calls us to bless the people around us, not send them away and not rebuke them. The disciples rebuked them. The disciples shot at the people waving their arms. 
Verse 14, but when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me and do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of God. So bring the children. Let the children come in their, in their nobodiness. Let them come in their poverty. Children know they need help. Children know they need grace. Instead of hating themselves for that need, they ask for someone to meet that need. And Jesus sees this as a kingdom window. The kingdom comes when the blessing of God meets the weakness of people. This is the logic of grace, being loved in our brokenness, not after the brokenness gets fixed. And Jesus says in uh, verse uh, 15, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. We've got to join the children in this little story. We've got to be in the same position they are. What does it take to get kindness from you? Does someone have to perform right? Do they have to live up to a certain standard? See, a lot of us, we, we give a blessing when someone's good enough, and then we assume that we can get a blessing because we're good enough too. Some of us believe I can get a blessing because I've been good enough, I fixed up my messes, and I got myself together, and now it's okay for me to ask for a blessing. And that's what we assume, a blessing, that's, that's, that's the window of opportunity, actually. When we're in this circumstance where we have gotten ourselves together, we've cleaned up our messes, we've presented, we put our best foot forward, that's when we get love. We're convinced that that's the way. And so often, friends, that is the way of the world. Perhaps it was the way of your household growing up. Perhaps it is the environment of your workplace, of your classroom, of your marriage. You get blessings when, you, when you're good enough. When you've fixed up your messes. Some of us need a blessing from God. All of us need a blessing from God in our moment of weaknesses, in our addictions, in our self-hatred in our incapacity to get ourselves together. But we hate ourselves for those things. And until we are good enough for the part of us that hates ourselves, only then can we come to God. We need to read verse 16. He took these children in his arms, these children who could do nothing for him, these children who brought profound need and he blessed them and he laid his hands on them. He laid his hands on them, the same hands that would be pierced on their behalf. He touched them. He willed his whole body and soul and mission and life for their good. Yes, he saw their need and he welcomed them in their need. Their need was an opportunity to be loved. Their need was an opportunity to be blessed. And so Jesus blessed them in this moment. It was a simple moment, and a lot of times this is where it starts for us, being blessed in and, and uh, passing on a blessing in these simple moments where Jesus simply took them into his arms, demonstrated love, care, affection, and acceptance. But it wouldn't end there. It wouldn't end in the little moment. It would end in this moment when Jesus was pierced on their behalf for their lack of capacity to get it together, for our lack of capacity to fix ourselves. 
He would go there. And his, he wouldn't just hold these children with his hands. His hands would be pierced on their behalf. Some of us need this this morning. Some of us need to know that Jesus holds us, that Jesus has died for us, that it's our weaknesses and our flaws that took him to the cross, not our strengths. We need to know that we are in a one flesh union with this Savior, with this husband, who will not send us away when we bring flaws and need to the table. He will not send us away. He will not reject us. Some of us, this is our sticking point with Jesus. This is our sticking point. This is the ceiling that we're hitting up against because we're trying to fix something. And what we really need is we need to receive his blessing in that area that we are trying to fix. We need his hug. We need his, we need his love. We need to let the distress signal fly. We need to scream mayday. We've got to stop whispering mayday to Jesus. Now we need to start screaming it to Jesus. And to look for his rescue and look for his love and receive his blessing. It is out of that place, friends. It is out of that place where we are blessed by Jesus. The, the blessing of the Father gets extended to us from Jesus. That we are finally able to look at other people in our life and rather than to mix up the signals and to react at people who are getting on our nerves or who are attacking us, to actually then begin to move to join Jesus in his ministry of offering a blessing, offering grace to roommates, to coworkers, to family members, to classmates who are in our life who desperately need the same love that we've received. Where are those places? And what would grace look like? Perhaps it looks like this. You have not forgiven somebody, but it is now time to give them a gift. You're in the process of forgiving, and many people who study the process of forgiveness have found that offering a, a gift as tangible as would be appropriate is a fundamental blocking point between uh, unforgiveness and forgiveness. That in fact, if you, even uh, the gift of praying for them every day this week is enough of a gift to, to put you in the hands of God and for the process of forgiveness to continue itself. Perhaps it starts with forgiveness through giving a gift to someone that you have not forgiven up to this point. Perhaps it is a gracious letter or note or book in the mail. Obviously, we need to respect those. Uh, uh, and in some cases, we can't approach people with whom we have estranged relationships. But is there a gift that you can give to someone? You've been holding something against them. Perhaps you stop avoiding that coworker. Perhaps instead of avoiding them, you move towards them and ask people to pray for you as you give them 10 minutes a day of a listening ear, of including them in happy hour, of moving toward them rather than away from them. Or perhaps this moody family member that is frustrating you to no end is there something that they enjoy doing that you could join them in? Are there bids for connection that you have up to this point rejected? Ask the Lord Jesus for his divine blessing that he will give you through his cross and resurrection. And then ask him for the capacity to restore your spiritual capacity to bless another human being, especially those who most need it. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. This is our window of opportunity. 
So, Lord, deliver us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.